Great to see you this morning. I was talking at uh, about 4.30 with Boaz Shalgi in Israel through WhatsApp. And evidently he looked at the clock and said, What are you doing up at 4.30 in the morning? You're supposed to be sleeping. And uh, I was able to use you as a witness. I said, actually, I'm preparing to gather with a bunch of men to read the Bible together and told him our topic was false teachers. And uh, anybody that would go outside of the text and... uh, and so you were a testimony even getting out of bed this morning for an unbelieving Jewish man uh, that lives in Galilee. And so um, the, it can only go up from here. Um, we are in on page uh, 172, study two, of the infiltration of false teachers. And um, we're going to be covering the second part of, uh, of this message. It's so important. Uh, we'll be taking three uh, to cover it. Just looking at how false teachers infiltrate um, the church. And um, we'll hear, it's about a three and a half, maybe four minute clip from, uh, from John in a minute to kind of introduce us. And that will really be um, our review from last time, because uh, what he's going to cover is how you're able to identify false teachers. Um, and of course, we mentioned last time that uh, one of the one of the hallmarks uh, of a false teacher is somebody who claims um, to uh, speak from the Bible, um, but actually doesn't. And so, you know, you turn on the the satellite channels, and they all have Bibles and some of them, even like Joel Osteen, hold them up and make some chant about it and then put it down and never pick it up again. Um, so it actually does require uh, discernment because everyone says uh, that they're, they're teaching the truth. How do you know? Um, well, you've got to know the truth yourself, but there are some uh, markers and identifying factors that Scripture gives. So we looked last time how Second Peter, Second uh, Peter and Jude mirror each other and Second Peter hangs a wanted poster in the church foyer. I mean, if you read Second Peter, in particular, chapter two, I mean, it it sketches out what a false teacher looks like, what what marks them uh, spiritually, uh, and their motives, and it does that so you're able to to identify them before you know before they ever before they ever come in. So that's where we're headed. Um, this morning, um, we'll pick up the vulnerable condition of the church. Like, how do they even get in? Um, why would we let them in? And we'll talk about uh, what Scripture says there. But I want you to open to Psalm 2. Today is March the 2nd. Can you believe that? It was February, and then poof, March is, uh, is here. So we're on Psalm 2. We'll open with this in in prayer. And wow, this psalm goes right along with the book of Daniel, doesn't it? Um, In one sense, I don't want to ruin a missions conference text for you, but I will do that in Psalm 2 this morning because Scripture does that. This passage is typically used a lot in missions conferences in particular. Um, Verse... uh, Eight, ask of me, and I will 
surely give you the nations as your inheritance on the very ends of the earth as your possession, and God will surely do that, speaking, of, speaking to Christ. But look at what he will do with them in verse 9. <laughs> you shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. And so um, this is not a salvation passage where Jesus is going to be receiving the nations. Uh, he's going to be judging the nations. He has the right to do that. And um, Revelation tells us that the wrath of the Lamb is coming, tribulation. Um, time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, during tribulation, God will use that period in order to uh, wake up the, the Jewish people and help them realize their need uh, prepare them for the, the coming of their Messiah the second time. And God will also use that period to pour out His wrath on the unbelieving world. Um, so let's see what He says here in Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? He's talking about nations and peoples, so the world in general. Why are they in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, this is what the rulers are saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Let us throw off God and any any restraints that comes from His Word, any authority. Look at God's response. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. That's a reference back to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. There's a, we reference the Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel with Babylon on Sunday, and there's this irony where all the kings of the earth, everybody comes together in the Tower of Babel, and they say, we're going to build a tower that's going to reach into the heavens, you know, this, this great monument for human uh, ability. And uh, God says He comes down to see what the men have done. They're, they're going to reach the heavens, and, and the Lord has to, to come down out of heaven to even see this little puny thing that, that man has done. I think this is, a, this is an echo to that. They're saying, let us tear apart... Throw off the cords, and he who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger. I mean, think about that passage. He will speak to them. That's a wonderful thing. The Lord speaks to us. How kind God is to speak to us. But this says he'll speak to them in his anger. And terrify them with his fury. What will he say? saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, and I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. And he said to me, speaking to this king that God's installed, You are my son, and today I have begotten you. It's quoted in the New Testament for Jesus. As of me... I will surely give, ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. The Bible says that Jesus will receive reward for his work when Christ comes. Part of that reward is the people that he'll redeem. 
you are part of that reward. You're an inheritance of the Lord. The Bible also says that Jesus will, will receive the, the reward of, of judgment that he'll pour out on the ungodly. You know, all men will be reconciled to Christ. That's what Colossians says. You will be reconciled to Christ. You'll either be reconciled to him uh, through your salvation or by your damnation. But everyone will be reconciled to Christ. What does that mean? Everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll, and that will be to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is glorified in salvation and his justice is, is exalted in, in damnation where people will be brought before him and be proven that he was, was just and they rejected him. Here's the appeal of verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he may not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may be soon kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's us. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come and we uh, just gather today. We thank you for the privilege to do that. Thank you for speaking to us um, through your word. Um, We we hear, um, we are frail, and sometimes we do really ignorant and foolish things. But you love us. We take refuge in you. We have no, no covering for our sin. We have no wisdom in ourselves. No covering for our sin in us, but, but we, we hide in Christ. He, he is our hope, and we pray that He would be honored and glorified. Teach us today uh, from Your Word. Uh, help us to share the, the truth with others. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we'll listen to, uh, to John. This is audio, and then we'll get into our lesson. When you want to listen carefully to find out if someone might be a false false teacher, first of all, listen for their understanding of the Scripture to see if there may be error there. Is it sound? Is it biblical? Is it legitimate? Don't look at their personality. Don't look at the religious trappings that are around them. Don't necessarily look at their associations although that may tell you some things if the associations are negative. But listen to what they say and do what 1 John 4 says, test them against the revelation of God. What is their approach to Scripture? Are they into all kinds of things beyond the Scripture? Are they saying things that don't, you don't find verses for, though they sound good? Secondly, what is their objective or goal? Is it spiritual? Do you see them as people whose primary goal in life is to produce a group of people who constantly love God? Or do they seem to go after self-love? Self-aggrandizement? Possessiveness? Materialism? Personal happiness? What is their objective? Is it love for God and for everyone else? Or is it an appeal to personal glory, personal gain? Is their objective holiness, a pure heart, 
Does that come ringing through the message, the purity of the heart, good conscience, faith without hypocrisy? Does it ring with a genuineness? Thirdly, what about their motives? Do they demonstrate a selfless motive? Can you see in them humility and meekness and selflessness? Or does it appear along the way that while they're helping people, they're getting very wealthy, very prosperous, and are manifesting surpassing attitudes of self-indulgence? at the expense of the people supposedly to whom they minister. And what about their effect? What about their effect? Do their followers understand clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do they understand the right use of law and the, the right definition of the glorious gospel of the blessed God? Do they really understand that? I remember speaking at a luncheon of a Christian organization. They call themselves a Christian organization. I think some of the people in it might be. And um, some might not. Some are not. I know this man wasn't. Anyway, a man came to me afterwards and said, Well, you know, I listened to what you said. And he said, I've been in this organization nine years, and this is how I think it is. I think there's this big door. And what you need to do is climb up these steps and it's a long, long climb and you get to the top and you bang on the door and you give them your name and you hope they let you in. He said, that's what I think. I said, how long have you been in this organization? Nine years. I said, may I be so bold as to suggest to you that you're not a Christian? And he was pretty well shaken by that. I said, you're not a Christian. You don't understand the gospel. Nobody ever said that to him before. Too bad nobody ever said that, right? Because of the trappings and the surroundings, everybody makes the assumption. What's the, what is the effect of this? There are people, I believe, in Christian churches and organizations across the world who, who aren't Christians. You know that. But I don't want it to be our responsibility not to tell them or our responsibility not to have told them when we should have. So you have the test. Look for their error in doctrine look for the objectives and the goals of their ministry check their motives out take a look at their followers and see what the effect is and you'll understand the urgency with which we have to deal with false teachers message uh, of correction message of confrontation a message that says um, discern Sift what someone says. Uh, and if you find it's contrary to Scripture, then confront them. That, that almost seems kind of weird in our culture, doesn't it? Uh, especially the confrontation part. Um, the sitting back and evaluating what somebody says and then deciding whether you want to follow it or not is pretty, pretty natural for us. But, but, but this idea of, you know... Live and let live. I mean, I might not follow that, but whatever you want to do, I mean, that's up to you. But, but that's not what Scripture says for us to do in the church. Um, there are unbelievers, and unbelievers act like unbelievers. And so you don't expect unbelievers to have the morality, if you want to use that term as, as, 
as Christians, we are pursuing Christ and Christ is sanctifying us. But the idea that Scripture gives is you are to, to be aware. Um, even beyond being aware, you are to point out false teaching and error, especially in the church. Um, and you're to call it out. Uh, now, again, we could go to a number of other passages which... which uh, uh, modulates the way in which we do that. Uh, but it is a serious, serious thing. Uh, I can remember uh, coming into New Testament survey uh, at 30 years of age and sitting there with Jim Fierkson, who's now a member of our church. And I was taught to preach my heart. That's what my pastor told me, preach your heart, preach your heart. And the first day of class, he had us uh, turn to Matthew 16 and where Peter is, uh, confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that flesh and blood didn't reveal that to him, but my Father in heaven. And then Jesus announces, yes, I'm the Christ, but I'm going to the cross. And then Peter rebukes the Lord. And you remember in Matthew 16, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Um, and he pointed out that here is the great apostle Peter, and one minute God the Father is revealing something to him, and the next minute the devil's using him, and he said, I want you to note that Peter can't tell the difference. And then he took us to Jeremiah seventeen nine and says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then he said something like this. He has no idea what my pastor taught me. He says something like this. So whenever you preach, and you say, Thus saith the Lord, God had better said it. Don't preach your heart because your heart will deceive you. And here's an example. Preach the text. Because you're going to give an account for every word. Not just every word that you say. You'll, you'll give an account for that. Scripture tells us that, that even things spoken in secret will be shouted from the housetops. Like God will unveil everything that we do and everything that, that we say. There will be no hiding on the, the day of exposure. But when you stand before someone or even in your idle talk with another Christian, you don't have to be a pastor to have this, this weight. When you say, God said this, or I think this is what Scripture says, then, then you better know that that's what it says because you'll not only give an account for those words, but the people that, that are led astray by, by your error. So false teaching and false teachers is a very, very serious thing in... Um, in scripture, I was petrified. Literally, I did not want to preach. I mean, I'm I'm here. I moved my whole family here to learn, and I I didn't want to do it because I'm thinking, how, how do I know? This is the early days before anyone had taught me hermeneutics. Before anyone had taught me, you know, what we uh, would simplistically call inductive Bible study. Like you can actually know what Scripture says. It, it's not like what the Baptists believe or you believe or like they're. There's language here, and there's context here, and you know what it says. I mean, and I, I didn't have those tools. Once I received them, then it's like, oh, okay, I, I can actually know what, what this says. Um, and, uh, and then I was, I was, I was on again. But, um, so that's not to, to, to terrify you in the sense of, of not being used of the Lord, um, but it may be a shot across the bow of your pride. Um, you speak what God speaks. Where God speaks, you speak. 
Where God's silent, you be silent. Don't bind the consciences of others. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says, don't go beyond the text. Um, But where there's text, you plant both feet and then some. And anyone who speaks contrary to it, then, then you're required not just to say, well, I don't believe that, but actually point that out in particular in the, in the body. And so there's all kinds of resources at Satan's disposal. We're on page 172. How do false teachers even get in the church? How does a good church like this... I mean, we've, we talked about... Uh, I was reminded again this morning, this pulpit that one of our members redid for us is the original pulpit in this church um, over 70-some years ago. And if you walk down that hall, there's a little picture right outside the door that shows you the tent that Timberlake started in right across the street where the Walgreens is um, right now. It's this field. There's a big tent revival that, that happened there, and this church was, was birthed out of it. So how does a church that has that type of history and otherwise, how do false teachings even get in? you know, the, the church. Well, the Bible tells us that we have a real enemy and he is a lot smarter than you or me or anybody else. So we have to, we have to follow God's plan or even the best of men um, will, will fall because they're men at best, as the saying goes. So the resources that are at Satan's disposals, their schemes and strategies, um, Demonic hierarchies, false teachings, uh, or teachers disguised as angels of light, slight deviations, and then sincere men who are um, sincerely wrong. Um, and not only that, the, the church uh, can be vulnerable. The vulnerable condition of the church. How, how do you keep a church from be vul- being vulnerable? Um, you, you inoculate it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You, you want spiritual strength, you set under the truth and allow it to, you know, to permeate your, your heart. Um, but the church can be vulnerable. We talked last time about how Peter, all of the verbs that describe the false teachers are, you know, are, are in the future tense. They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Jude, which says the same thing as Second Peter, says they're here, they're here. And then you can read the seven letters in Revelation to show the effects of those, of those false teachers. So, so how, how prevalent is this problem? I mean, one of the encouragements I get of reading the New Testament is, I mean, this is first-generation stuff. I mean, you want to be encouraged, you want to look at your church and say, wow, uh, it's really a mess. I, I wish it was better than it was. Go read, go read 1 Corinthians. <laughs> yeah, that'll encourage you. Um, why do we even have instruction uh, about how to deal with weakness in the church or false teaching in the church? Because that was there, even churches planted by, by the apostles. And you can see that in the first, um, first few chapters of, of, of Revelation. The church can be, can be vulnerable, um, and it's often asleep regarding the dangers of of error. Uh, open to Ephesians 5, verses 6 through 14. Somebody read that for me whenever you get there. Ephesians 5, verses 6 through 14. Think about this. This is Paul writing to the Ephesian church. 
And you remember Ephesians is all about the church. Clay mentioned on Sunday, one of the greatest praise, praises in all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, is Ephesians 1, where Paul just breaks forth in praise for what the triune God has done in your salvation. The Father planned it, the Son accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit applied it. And then in chapter 2, you know, you were but God being rich in mercy, and, and then the, the understanding that he's brought Jew and Gentile together in one new man the church, um, and then he gives instructions to that church. He, Jesus gave gifts to that church. He lays, lays the foundation through the apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2.20 gave gifts to the church beyond the apostles and prophets. When they go off the scene, then you have a missionary evangelist and pastors and teachers that build on that foundation, and they're to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? You are equipped with the truth, and then you speak that truth to one another. That's a loving thing to do, speak the truth in love, and that will build up the body to a mature man in Christ. And, and so you'll not be blown about by every wind of doctrine. So there's the, the, the echo of preparation for false teaching. And so in that book, look at what he says here in Ephesians 5. Um, I'm sorry, did I say 4 verse 6? Wow. My old man eyes are getting me here. Six, not four. Ephesians 5, 6. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Now think about this in the, in the context of what Paul's saying here, false teaching that's possible. And then Ephesians is one of the, the, the churches that is written to. And Paul sends uh, Timothy, so 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy in the context of Ephesus. Um, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Same thing that Peter says, Second Peter and Jude. They're like, they're like rain clouds with, with, with no water. Now think about that in an agricultural society. You need water for things to grow. I mean, Israel is arid, volcanic soil, especially up in Galilee area. I mean, and it will go from dirt to a week's worth of rain, and it is just lush. I mean, in a literal day, you'll have rain, and the next day you'll go out, and there's just little tiny, I mean, just little green nubs just sticking up everywhere. And so if, if you're dependent on food, and obviously you're dependent upon the rain, it's a good analogy. False teachers look like a big black rain cloud coming to dump just luscious water on, you know, on, on the ground, and all they do is thunder, and maybe some lightning. 
There's no water that ever comes, nothing to ever nourish the ground. So he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, words that, that, are, that are empty. They, don't have no, they have no power in them. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, those who speak empty words. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. Here's how Scripture always talks about us and, and them. I mean, even that's contrary to our current you know, uh, climate or world. We are the world. We are one. We are all human beings. We are one culture. We are one whatever. And yet Scripture says there are those in the kingdom and those outside of the kingdom. Um, there's us and there's them. Now, we're not any better than them. We've just been transformed or translated from the, from the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son through the grace of Jesus Christ. And you're not here because you're smarter than anybody else, but you're here. And you're here because of, because of grace. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. Don't participate with them. Don't receive. Um, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light um, in the Lord. So walk. Walk, the scriptural word for live your life. Conduct yourself. Walk as children of the light. Live as a Christ follower. For the fruit of that light, what comes from um, a life that's been exposed to the light, consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness, the, the general transformation, a good life, you're, you're transformed into, in, into uh, righteous fruit. Um, you're, you're righteous, the, you're aligning your life with, with, with the Lord, and, and then obviously truth. False teachers are none of those. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. If you want to summarize the goal of the Christian life, it's right there. Pleasing to the Lord. I want to think in ways that are pleasing to the Lord. I want to speak in ways that are pleasing to the Lord. I want to act in ways that are pleasing to the Lord. I want my life to be pleasing to the Lord. Is that the desire of your heart? I mean, just, I mean, if you boil it down, whatever you know, whatever you don't know, however long you've been a believer, uh, you know, is that the, the, the real nucleus of, of everything, the rudder of your life? I want to be pleasing to the Lord, or is it I want to be pleasing to myself? Pleasing to the Lord, that's the evidence of salvation. Um, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. So, I mean, notice there's a, there's a, there's a negative and a positive. I mean, don't participate. Well, okay, I, I'm, I'm good with that. I won't participate. I'm not going to do what unbelievers do. I'm not going to look at what they look at, do what they... I'm not going to involve myself. I'm, I'm okay with that. But look, it goes further than that, doesn't it? But expose them. That's a little harder, isn't it? It seems a little harsher, especially in our culture, climate. But that's what it says to do. Point it out. Now, we'll, we'll say later, you know, you're not as a Christian to run around and be a heresy hunter. That's not your job. It's not your job to be, as one said, be a sin sniffer. You should be a grace hunter. You know, don't go around and sniff the sin out of everybody else's life. Look for the grace of God operating in their life. But, but you do have a responsibility to your brother. 
you see me in sin or tra the trajectory of, of somebody's life moving in the wrong direction, then, then you love them enough to say, hey, you know what? What's going on? Um, and you're commanded to speak truth, which exposes error. For it is disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in, in secret. I mean, one, of the, one of the ways that you can tell that our culture is in the latter stages of um, corruption uh, is, is just the, 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 the boldness and the, 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 the way in which we talk about things so publicly. What's the first thing that God did with Adam and Eve? All the way back in the garden. When they realized their nakedness, what did God do? He covered them. Um, is there something sinful about the human body? Nothing sinful about the human body. I mean, they were naked and unashamed before sin. But sin entered in, and it changed the way that we think and see and Devise and the lust that come in the heart, um, and uh, you can think about the demoniac, right? He's running around in chains, naked, and then it says uh, the evidence of his transformation is he's there sitting at the fire in his right mind, clothed, um, and yet we just—that's that's just not even thought of. Um, people walk around in their underwear on the beach and sometimes less than that. We were in Mexico not long ago. I said there's, there's more cloth on some of their faces, on the face masks, than there were on the rest of their bodies. And that's just the culture you live in. But I don't, it's not even that. It's, it's speaking about it. It's speaking about things that, that it's disgraceful. Things that are done in secret. You turn on the TV, I mean, they're talking about things that are just flat embarrassing. I don't have any problem with it. It's like the adulteress in Proverbs. She, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, so what? What's the problem? It's how you can tell a culture is, has been turned over to a reprobate mind. They don't just do evil things. They, they applaud those types of, of things. It's been said the sexual revolution gave way to the homosexual revolution, and that's going to turn worse and worse. Verse 13, But all things become visible when they're exposed by the, the light. Be careful speaking flippantly about, about sexual things and things that are, that are bad. The light will expose those things. Speak the truth. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, "Awake, sleeper, arise from the arise from the dead, and Christ will will shine on you." So often we're asleep regarding the dangers of of error. There's also uh, page one seventy two and B leaders not paying attention to the truth. Um, they have to be careful. You don't want to chase every cultural thing. I can remember when all the woke church stuff happened and the critical race theory and all the Black Lives Matter and, and, and even with the COVID stuff. 
We would be very judicious. Um, you know, don't be reactionary. If your your elders are reactionary, that's a bad thing. So you know, digest, see what's happening. I mean, is this something that's gonna gonna you know set in the upon the culture, or is this something gonna blow in and, and, and blow out? And once, but once you realize that that this is a prevailing theory, a prevailing thought in the culture, at that point, now you're called to. You know, to discern it and and to speak against it, it's it's error. Um, so leaders shouldn't be reactionary, but they have to pay attention to to the truth. Uh, sometimes the church lacks a biblical framework for exposing false teachers and doctrinal error. They don't even realize it. I, I mean, methodology is. Is the it comes from your theology? We talked about that all the time in new members class. And methodology is is a lot of times the Trojan horse with which error comes in. You know, um, if just one soul comes to Christ, it will be worth it all. What would you sacrifice for one soul? And probably spoken in a lot of cases in sincerity. You should care about every soul, and you should. Share the the gospel, but but your methodology matters. <laughs> How in which you reach that soul? What methods that you use? Those methods are are prescribed in Scripture, just in the same way that the command to go to them is is explained in in Scripture. So you have to have the biblical framework um, for understanding doctrinal error. The prevailing attitude is that love now means to accept without question, resulting in in decades of refusing to face the implications of of error and truth. It's pretty self-explanatory. Satan and false teachers are clever. They devise crafty means of implementing his resources. The minute that you think that you're the minute that you're unconcerned about Satan, you're probably set up for failure. Uh, be careful when you think you stand, lest, lest you fall. He's way smarter than you and me. Um, liberal church calls true church too narrow. Liberal church pandering to the fads of the culture, criticizing for lack of love. Many accept at face value people who say they love Jesus without inquiring what they, what they mean and who they're talking about. You ever been close to a Mormon? I mean, like, really had, like, know the person, know their family, know their life, a cultural Mormon? I mean, they look good, they smell good, their families look wonderful, they talk the same language, they, I mean, you can you can think, wow, I mean, having a hard time actually seeing what what's the problem, you know? Here, um, they say they love Jesus Christ. Which Jesus? Jesus identified in Scripture. Um, how do they say that they're coming to know Him? That, that they're right with Him? Just because somebody uses a word, or a term, or even claims to know God, doesn't mean that that they do. Um, and they're way more subtle and difficult people to discern than that. I mean, 
you know enough to know that a Mormon is not a Christian um, because you've been in a good church and around truth and, and you know that. You might not know why they're not, but you know they're not. But there are a lot of people that are not Mormon that come from Baptist churches that would fall into this category. They say they love Jesus, um, and you just accept that. Look at three here. Where are some defenses? I mean, how do you protect yourself? All right, you got me awake and aware and maybe a little a little scared here. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to be the guy that's called on the carpet before the Lord. I mean, I know some Bible, but if it's really this deceptive and really this important, what, what will help me defend against that? Well, Paul talks about that a little bit in Ephesians 5. You walk in the light and... Um, the light will expose you and and people around you. But what are some defenses against false teachers and doctrines of demons? First Timothy four one. Well, love the truth. Our weapon is truth. It destroys false ideals and and error. Um, the Bible is called the sword of the Spirit. You know the passage in Ephesians that talks about put on the full armor of God. It goes through, you know, remember in Sunday school class, which is a great you know, little image. You've got the Roman soldier there, and you've got the shield of faith, and the helmet and salvation, and the breastplate of righteousness. You know, your feet shod with the gospel of, of peace, the belt of truth. And, and, and it says, stand. Having done all, stand. And so this defensive posture... Having on armor against the, the craftiness, the wiles of the devil. And then it says, the sword of, of the Spirit, right? So you've got the, the armor, the defensive, but the offensive weapon is the sword, you know, the, the word. And how do you, what, what does the armor even mean? Well, well, all of those are, are faith in the truth. Like you're appropriating the truth. You're, you're understanding the truth about, you know, about the gospel, and you're firm in the gospel, you're, and, you're, and you're sharing it. You're, you have the breastplate of righteousness. You have a helmet of, of, of salvation. Um, so love the truth. Your weapon is, uh, is the truth. Um, you see grieving things like with, Ravi Zacharias. And how does that, something like that happen? The same thing, same way it can happen in, in, in your life. Um, but be careful getting too much into philosophy or in apologetics or in creation studies or in whatever things that may be good and, and you're not in the text. You're not in Scripture itself. You don't love the truth. You love a system that, that helps people. Love the truth. Your weapon is the truth. And it destroys false ideas and, and error. I can remember um, Lance Quinn telling a story about a, a famous preacher that has since fallen and he was speaking, I don't know if he was speaking in the same conference or was on an airplane with him. I don't remember the circumstances. But this guy was, you're talking about their sermon prep. 
and uh, you would know the guy if I mentioned his his name. And he said, "Ah, yeah." I said, "I don't have time to do this sermon prep stuff. I mean, I'm 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 just preaching, teaching all the time, writing books. I got people that do that for me, you know, like Mark. Mark has people that do things for him, you know. But Mark actually studies." the text so I don't want to associate Mark too much with this guy he said I don't have time to do that I mean I've got you know I've got four or five interns or three or four or whatever the number was they do all the study for me you know they bring it all together and and then they give me the outline and then and then I package it you know as if you know I'm the one who can actually you know put it in a format where people want to listen to it you know that's just that's just the way I do it and um, Lance said, wow, I mean, I would hate to do that. I would hate that. Um, that's my sanctification. I mean, the blessing that I get, I'm talking to me now and anybody, any expository preacher, the blessing that I get is I'm in the text every day. And I get the fruit of that. I mean, it permeates my heart and my life. So by the time I get to Daniel chapter 1... I'm living in Daniel chapter 1. It's permeating my thinking. I don't want somebody doing my sermon prep. I wouldn't let somebody do my sermon prep. I would rather do the sermon prep than preach the sermon. (laughs) Because the sermon is for you. (laughs) The sermon prep is for me, my sanctification. And in that sanctification, then the overflow comes out in the the pulpit. Look at uh, the B here. Error cannot survive in an environment where truth is exalted, taught, believed, and, and, and lived out. In your own heart, in your church, wherever it is. Um, truth won't give oxygen. The truth is there. It, it, it won't provide oxygen for... For error. Error won't survive in a church long that's centered on the truth. Learn to spot heresy early on. Expose the subtleties of the enemy. Here's what I was referencing earlier. We're not heresy hunters, but lovers of the truth. Learn to filter everything through the, the grid of Scripture. Learn to filter everything from the built grid of Scripture. Um, that's a practice that you develop. Answer everything with the Bible. The greatest compliments um, that one of our children gave Tracy and I is, you know, with all of the the good and the bad and just trying to be a faithful parent and failing many times that, that you all have done. I, I'm walking away from this home with one thing that's that's just etched in my mind. You've taught me to solve all of my problems with the Bible. All of the answers to life are in the Bible. Um, that's success. I mean, regardless of what 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 how well you lived it out. Now. They didn't see hypocrisy, but they sure saw plenty of sin and confession and those type of things. But learn to filter everything through the grid of Scripture. If in your life, 
the Bible rightly interprets reality. That's a quote from Mark Hager. It's a it's it, it's your go-to. Um, and if you have that grid of scripture in your mind and, and you're you know you've got a well-worn path back to that well, then then that will inoculate you. Um, there. Look at what Irenaeus said. This is 202 AD in his letter against heresies. We'll come to that and next time when we talk about church history on Sunday night in, in my recharge or equipping class. Error indeed is never set forth in its naked deformity. Lest, being thus exposed, it should at once be detected. But it is craftily decked out in an attractive dress, so as by its outward form to make it appear to the inexperienced, ridiculous as the expression may seem, more true than the truth itself. Sounds even better than the truth itself. Kind of what Paul says to Timothy. Gathering teachers with, to tickle their ears. What does that mean? You see, tell them things that they want to hear. And they want to hear things that are, in their minds, better than the truth. Um, be on guard. The idea that you need to spice up the truth. You need to be innovative. You need to be creative. You need to be this. You need to be that. You just need to be faithful. You just need to speak what Scripture says because that's where the power is. The gospel is the power of God and salvation. And when uh, our minds are filled with truth, uh, we have the biblical radar to detect these errors. And false teaching. I want biblical radar. <laughs> Good. Thoughts about any of that before we go to number four? I've been kind of doing a monologue this morning, so what do you think? What's resonating? What's hitting? What's what questions are there? You feel equipped to identify error? see some of these things you're listening and going "Ah, yeah I see that I need to tighten it up in in this area yeah Yeah, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so a couple things. Um, the, the truth is God's truth, regardless of who it comes through. So, I mean, there are people that get saved under women preachers. I mean, that actually speak the gospel, you know, because the gospel is what transforms them. Now, that doesn't mean that we say women preachers are okay, because you have a passage that clearly says not. So... You know, the old saying, God can strike straight licks with crooked sticks. He can do that. Um, what do you do with somebody like Ravi? I think I, I have not personally heard anything that he said that, that I can 
find major error from Scripture. I, I think as far as as his messages, there's a lot of, of things that can be commended, you know, there. Um, who is he? What was he? I think that, you know, we won't know that until, you know, uh, the day of judgment, uh, you know, declares as far as was he a genuine believer or was he not? I don't know. You be careful saying, oh, yeah, he was a believer for sure. You know, he just fell into sin. Well, I don't know that. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. So, you know, um, people can can live uh, a, a life of, of hidden sin. Um, functionally, as a church, we're called in Matthew 18 to identify somebody's life that's incongruent with Scripture. So functionally, you're not acting like a believer. I can say that to you. And that's confirmed in two witnesses, and ultimately that's confirmed you know, through the elders and in the church at large. Let them be as, a, you know, as an unbeliever, a heathen and a publican. So you're called to functionally discern somebody's life. The way they're functioning is not in congruence with Scripture. And the church is required to make that type of judgment. Not a condemnation, but a clarification. But the final judgment on what is their heart and what's there, Jesus will do on the last day. So I don't think that we should call him an unbeliever or, or say he's a believer for sure. I think you have to say, I don't know. I mean, he said this, which was true, and yet he seems to have lived a, a life that was incongruent with that. I would be petrified you know, if I was, was him to stand before the Lord. Because it's easy to deceive yourself. You could say a lot of stuff and not really have it in you. Um, but So I don't think that we give a declaration about, a final declaration about his life. We can say functionally what he did was evil. Um, you can say, be sure your sin will find you out. This is a testimony that nobody is above the judgment of God, that God will ultimately expose you. Private sin in your life, he'll bring public. Um, and then... Uh, to the extent that the truth that he spoke was the truth, it's not his truth. He's speaking it from you know from Scripture, and uh, you know the Lord can even use that as a testimony. That's really not even about the man, you know. Um, but those things are those things are tough. Um, so that that's probably how I would you know how how I would approach that. I'd just I'd be careful condemning. I wouldn't. I would not be careful condemning what he did. I would be careful saying that we know what he was, um, and just say. So it, you know, the truth should transform the man, but but the truth is not the man. You know, don't judge the savior by the saved, as, a, as an old man told me whenever I first came to Christ and actually discovered their sin in the church. Can you believe that? Their sin in the church. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you've added to it, but that doesn't mean that there's anything disparaging about the about the Savior. Um, yeah, Mark, go for it. Yeah.
I hope you were paying attention to that. That was worth getting out of bed for. It really was. Um, if you didn't hear that, Mark was saying we're, we're really concerned about the false teachers out there or the false teachers that are somebody else. But, but what, like Martin Luther said, I am more afraid of the great Pope self, the Pope of my heart, than the one who's in Rome. So the real heretic that you, you have to battle on a daily basis is the one in your heart. It's the voice of your flesh that's there. And um, use the same tool, the truth. We'll, we'll combat that. It's great. It's hard. And subtle. Wooing. Um, self-justification. Pride. What else? Other thoughts? subtleties there yeah yeah for sure yeah I'd use somebody else's resources other than other than his like for instance one of the books that we used to use on a regular basis for new members um, was how to be a healthy church member that was the companion to you know uh, nine marks Devers um, nine marks of a healthy church so this was nine marks of a healthy church member it was excellent material I mean, it, you know, what is a healthy church, expositional preaching, right doctrine, right view of the gospel. I mean, just really basic stuff, scriptural stuff. And then companions. So that's great. We preach about that. But what does that mean for me as a church member? How, am I, how can I be a church, healthy church member? But we don't use the book anymore. We found a different book. That book was written by Thabiti on Mbule, um, who has just totally went off the rails you know, with, with the whole uh, racial stuff, perverting the gospel. And um, so I can totally affirm his book. Like his book's really, really helpful. Um, and if you have it on your shelf, I, you know, I, I wouldn't throw it away because it's truth. But I won't use his stuff now because I don't want to turn somebody onto him and then, and then, you know, them listen to something current like Clay's saying where you've got that life leakage, you know, that, that, that's in there. There's a great analogy of the weight room. You know, I mean, you want to get in shape. I mean, knowing a lot about weights, knowing a lot about the weight routines, you know, having watched, uh, you know, guy, bodybuilders watch people work out, uh, you know, and you know, you know, the system's not going to grow a single muscle. <laughs> um, using the weights is what's going to build, you know, muscle. So knowing about the truth, 
an appreciation of the truth is not application of the truth. You can appreciate expository preaching and appreciate John MacArthur and appreciate all these things, and you can know theology inside and out, but if you don't bring that in to where your life connects with it, where you're actually practicing it, it's cutting you, it's, it's transforming you, then, then it's not changing you. Just think of it like, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to get in shape. So you go to the gym and you get your water bottle and your towel and your whatever, and you go there and you sit in a chair and watch everybody else work out. And then six months from now, man, I'm not growing. What's going on here? I mean, I'm, I've been working out for six months. You know, It's the way it can be when you come and listen to the sermon. and You, you don't put it into practice in your life, and that's a form of self-deception. Um, so that's great. Well, next time we'll talk about the difficulties in identifying false teachers and some signs and, and methods and then some biblical biblical titles. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for the fact that they've been a testimony without even knowing it. That's... Just even one thing that I've pointed out, being able to share about their commitment to you, to a, to a man in Israel. And we have no idea how many people drove by this church this morning and saw a parking lot full of cars or lights on and, and you had been dealing with their heart about their life. They've, they hit a wall spiritually or their marriage is, is trashed or there's something else going on and you were already working in their heart and and they just looked in this direction and you harvested some some truth that you, you had sown there. Um, thank you for those ways in which you use us that we don't know, but Lord, we want to be used in ways we do know. Um, so guard us from error, personal error. Give us a love for the truth. Um, not just appreciation, but application. Help us to work out. Um, even in those areas where we, we think that we ought to be able to lift more than, than we actually are able to. Don't pretend to be that. Um, get on the weight bench, even if it's embarrassing, and the muscles will come. We love you. We thank you for our church. And uh, we thank you most of all for Jesus. And um, we ask these things in his name. Amen.